I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. All right, Ash, let's get stuck straight in. What book have you been reading this time? So this week I want to talk about an Anne McCaffrey novel called Dragonflight, which is the first chronicle of Pern. Yeah. So anytime I tell people that I write about dragons, this book comes up so often people say, oh, you should read Dragons of Pern. And I have read Dragons of Pern, so I wanted to talk about it. So I, I read this book years ago. Uh, I wanted to talk about it because it's a it's a really cool premise for a book as well. Um, also, the really awesome thing, this was it was actually written in 1968. So this isn't a new book that I'm talking about today. Mm-hmm. And Anne McCaffrey, obviously a female, and it started off as a series of novellas that yep. have then been put together as, as books. And it actually earned Anne McCaffrey the Hugo and the Nebula Award. Oh, right. And she was the first female to oh, win that. Oh, very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so really cool cool bit of history there yeah. behind Anne McCaffrey with uh, Dragonflight. But um, this story has a really cool premise. So as someone who loves dragons, I actually spent, I reckon, a year chasing this book down, just going from bookstore to, you know, every time I was in a bookstore trying to find this book mm-hmm. until eventually I found book one and book two in a bookstore mm-hmm. side by side and I bought them. Never, Never read book two. I don't oh, know really? why. I don't okay. know why. There's no reason because I absolutely love this book. So the really cool premise is that there is like a series of dragon eggs and if you have strong empathy and a telepathic ability, you can go into this dragon pit right when the eggs are about to hatch. And if you're lucky, one of the newly hatched dragons will bond with you. Right, and cool. you will have they'll be your soulmate. So you will have this telepathic connection with them and a soul bond, so you can have experience their emotions and that sort of thing, and like a mind link for the rest of their life and the rest of your life. So uh, it's actually really dangerous to do this though. If they don't bond with you and they hatch, you're toast. Like they're tearing you apart. Uh, The dragons have diminished over time. Mm -hmm. So there's a threat to the world called threads. So these white threads fall from the sky and destroy everything that they touch, but it can be decades in between an attack of these threads. So the humans have become quite lazy and they haven't been. um, So I think there were six different like dragon breeding areas. Now there's one. And there's only one single golden egg, and that's significant because that means there's only one female, a golden queen. Oh, not female, but a golden queen. Yeah. So the story kind of begins, it's not quite where it begins, but it sort of begins where that egg is hatching and, you know, who's going to bond with that queen. Um, and then there's going to be attacks of threads and all sorts of things. So it's a really, really, really cool premise behind dragons and having that mind link with them and then there's their sentient creatures have really like funny thoughts and that sort of thing and but only the person they're telepathically linked to can hear them oh that's cool yeah, yeah. and it's also um like when the dragons mate the humans telepathically connected to them experience that mating ritual whether the humans like each other or not <laughs> so I, yeah again just some really cool things that she was able to play around with in this mm. story uh it's i feel like it's I mean, printed printed in what nineteen sixty eight. Anything I say, if it's a spoiler, you're a bit slow to you know to get around to it. But I won't give any spoilers. But 
Yeah, we don't give spoilers. No, we don't give spoilers. And I, I'm always the one that receives the spoilers, so I never would. Uh, it, this story, it's also set in the distant future. Mm, so, and okay. not on not on Earth. It's set on a, another planet called called Pern. Um, so, yeah, it is sort of. Thing. Oh, and the dragon fire. The dragon fire is really cool in it. So, for the dra- so the dragons have actually evolved from a type of lizard, right? And they can eat a type of rock that makes them breathe fire. Ah, and so yeah. the golden dragon, the, the queen golden dragon, cannot eat the rock. She can't digest it to make this fire. But the, And that fire is what can attack the threads that are falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's the basic exciting premise, premise of the story. It's cool. just such a really cool, I don't know, just, I don't know where she came up with this yeah, concept. It's I really cool. It, yeah. uh, but you actually, while I was reading this, you – this was a few years ago now, you were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, and these white threads fall from the sky. And I didn't know because I knew you hadn't read it. Yeah, I haven't read it. But I do have, <laughs> um, so you mentioned it's an old book. Mm. And uh, when I was a kid, I, and I can barely remember that clearly, but when I was a kid we had on our Commodore 64, there's like a video game interpretation of it, Dragon Riders of Pern. Um, I'll post a link to it. It's pretty old. But um, I don't remember any of the main game part, but I can remember that you controlled a dragon flying around and you had to like kill the thread. With the fire? With the fire. <laughs> That's literally all I can remember. I wonder if every time somebody says to me, Dragons of Pern, I wonder if they've just played the video game. I don't know how well <laughs> it would be. It was pretty obscure. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many people have actually read it because I because yeah. it was recommended to me so many times I read it. And, yeah, I wonder if I'm like one of the only people that actually read it instead of just playing the video game. <laughs> yeah, really yeah. good book. If you love dragons, I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what did you learn from the book, Ash? What's a lesson? Well, this was actually, when I say I read it a few years ago, I think it was a lot longer than that, longer ago than that. You can see this is quite an old book that I'm holding in my hands. Um, I actually read this book before I started the Rashea series. And this book informed a lot of how you should write about dragons. This was one Mm. of my go-to books. Before I started the Rashea series and I knew I was writing about dragons, I found a bunch of different literature on dragons Mm. so that I could see what are people's perceptions and portrayals of dragons to date because you sort of – Although dragons are myth- like made-up creatures, there are standard ideas. So you yeah. need to know what the standard ideas are so that you can either stick to that mould or break that mould. At least you know the rules that you're playing around with. So this was one of the books on my list that was like a research book for me. And what I really loved about what Anne McCaffrey did is that she tied everything in with science as much as possible. Right. So I already alluded to, or I already said that um, these dragons had been systematically bred from lizards and then the way they breathed their fire was through eating a rock. But then there, there were negative side effects to eating that rock mm-hmm. as well. So that gave me a really good springboard for when I was creating my own dragons and it encouraged me to go back to my old university textbooks. I studied zoology at university. So I had a physiology book that I pulled open and I was doing sketches of bat swings and how bat swings work and um, the bodies, how would a body work with four legs and a pair of wings? Because that doesn't actually happen in the real world. And all that. so Anne McCaffrey encouraged me to uh, be more scientific in my yeah. approach to creating dragons rather than using that, oh, it's magic as an ex- as an excuse for everything that doesn't make sense. So yeah, she, she helped me realise the importance of research and yeah. making... 
even fantastical elements as realistic as possible. Yeah, so even if you're writing about something that doesn't exist in the real world, you should try to still think about how it would exist in its world. And yes, exactly. the science that might back up what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a good takeaway. Yeah, and so... There's a bit more credibility to your world and probably gives you some cool ideas for your story as well. I've tried, I, I mean, I tried to be as unique as I could with my mm. own dragons. Um, it did give me the idea that dragons can have that telepathic thought so they can communicate through telepathy, which is what my dragons can do in my books. And I didn't realise where I got that from until just now when I was going through, I wanted to talk about this book and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, they're, they're telepathic. And so I think that's where I got that from for Fireburn Island. <laughs> so that was – I. it's so funny you don't realise where your inspirations come from necessarily until you find out later. I actually found a notebook. You know book two is called The Lost City? Yeah. I don't know where I got that title from and I was cleaning up my home office and I found a notebook from I think Typo. You know, they've got random artwork design and there's like a street sign with the the Lost City written on with a, <laughs> like an arrow pointing and a car driving along. Oh, weird. So I wonder if, yeah, that was that's, I got inspired by that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, inspiration can strike from anywhere. So that's why it's yes. good to always read widely and from lots of different genres and research. Research, research, research. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so writing tips, Ash, what do you got for us? So I thought while we're talking about, you know, researching for a fantasy novel and making sure scientifically it's accurate and all that sort of thing, I thought I would actually go through what are the steps you should take or what are the steps I take, I guess, to setting up the magic system for your story. So before you write your book, you should actually know the magic system. Um, And when I was doing my research for this, I came across something that you might be really into because it was written by Brandon Sanderson. Ah, yes. So my, so this is, yeah, rules for creating a magic system. I've got six steps and the first step is to determine whether it is hard or soft magic. Yep. So this is Brandon Sanderson. Now, Brandon Sanderson's general, his uh, first law of magic is that the author's ability to uh, solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands that magic. So you need to, uh, you can't solve a problem with magic if the readers don't understand how that magic worked. So this ties in with soft magic versus hard magic. Now, soft magic is magic that is not really understood. It's mystical. So this is kind of like Lord of the Rings. No one really gets how Uh, Gandalf's magic works. So Frodo can't just fly to I was going to say Gondor, it's not Gondor, is it Mordor? Mordor. To throw the ring in the volcano because we don't know how Gandalf's magic works. So that's a soft, soft magic is when the reader is, well, no one's really clear on how magic works. It's a very mystical thing. Now, because you don't know or because the readers don't know how the magic works, then the magic cannot be used to solve the problem. But it is there. It's there in the book and sometimes it can be used to surprise or shock. Because if it solves a problem, it's a bit do sex machina. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's just a little bit too handy that they can do that. But as I said, it can be used um, to create some really wonderful events, but it can't solve that conflict, that main conflict. So, yeah, that's soft magic. Now, hard magic is where the rules are very clearly understood by the reader. So they're explicitly stated by the author, they're explained, and then you can use it to solve the problems because the readers understand how it works. This can be used for um, 
Actually, a good example of this would be in Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling, she has very a hard system of magic. The readers understand how it works and she very rarely deviates from that. It's very rare she makes a mistake with that. So uh, you can then use your magic, as I said, to solve problems and you can use it for clever plot twists. Yep. So in this way, magic now has becomes a tool the character has. But Brandon Sanderson's really cool advice for this, if you decide to use, and these days people do more use a hard magic system than a soft magic system. If you're going to use this, uh, he suggests you ask yourself a couple of questions. So the first question is, what tools does the character already have to solve the problem? So rather than teaching a new magic technique every time a problem comes along, what magic do they already know that can solve this problem? And the second question is, how could this character solve the problem without magic? How could we solve this without magic? Do we need magic to solve this? Yeah, right. So that was Brandon Sanderson. Um, we'll put a link up to his website where he stated that he does a really fantastic job, mm. much better job than me of explaining <laughs> it. So, yeah, that's step number one, yep. figuring out is it a soft magic system or a hard magic system yep. because that will determine the rules you come up with for the magic. Step number two is to define how your magic works. What is its fuel? So for me, uh, I have sort of like an inner like energy mm-hmm. that my dragons use to cast their magic. And then when the wizards use their magic later, they draw energy from the world and then it sort of drains the world. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand what's the fuel where does the power come from and how does the magic work? So you need to, as the author, have a very in-depth understanding of this. It can't, you can't just be like, oh, you know, magic. You have yeah. to understand exactly how it works. And this is where having a good knowledge of science does help. Still upholding those laws of physics. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, step number three, who can use the magic and to what extent? So lately, we won't talk about them on the podcast, but I just went through a real binge read of Anne Bishop's Black Jewels novels because I love them. (laughs) And in the Anne Bishop's novels, the magic users in the book, so not everybody can use magic. Those who can are called the blood and they all have different strengths. So they're actually born, they call it like a, a wellspring of power. Some have a really deep wellspring of power. Others have a really shallow wellspring of power. So some people can use magic just for very basic spells and others can do whatever you can think of um, with magic. So, yeah, you need to decide who can use it, to what extent, um, and then also the different strengths. So does do your characters stand out because of their magic use, because they're so strong or because they're particularly weak mm. in the magic? Uh, step number four, what are the parameters of the magic? So how much can it do? What is it limited by? So. In my book, I we actually I'm more talking about this in book three and book four. I haven't explicitly stated it for the readers, but I myself as the writer know that one individual wizard is limited by how much magic he or she can do. Uh, they're more powerful in a group of three. Three is a magical number. And then even more powerful again in a group of seven. So if a group of seven are using their magic, they're almost, they can, anything they can think of, they can make, they're almost unstoppable unstoppable, but it takes a huge amount of trust to be working so closely with another wizard. Wizards are not exactly the most trustworthy of characters. And so it's very rare you'll get seven wizards who will team up to work together. Mm. So it's, it's rare enough to find three wizards who will work together. So in my book, the main, um, 
nemesis, uh, Mathonwe, very rarely will pair up with anybody except one of his children because he doesn't trust anybody to do the job properly. Which ultimately is like a weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the weakness of my my magic system is that, yeah, the more people you have, the, the more you can do, mm. but they won't work together. So, yeah, step number four, what are the parameters and how much can it do? Step number five, what is the drawback to the power that they can use to, to the magic? So does it harm the user? I wrote a short story a few years ago where magic use, it actually uses your life force. So if you use magic, that's you're taking time away from your life. So you'll die quicker. Uh, and I think that's quite a common thing that they make mm. magic users have. Um so does it, as I said, does it harm the user or does it harm the world? Is it draining the world? Does it need to be replenished? Mm. Step number six, are there multiple types of magic in the world? So I'm thinking of the magician for this one where is it Pug actually learns uh, two different types of magic yeah. systems or mag uh, different types of magic. Yep, yep. Or, um, a lot of books have white magic versus black magic. Yep. Um, in my books, I've got wizard magic, which is very distinct from witch magic, mm. which is distinct again from dragon magic. So I've actually got three magic systems in my world and I had to step-by-step -step plan out how each and every one of those works. similar to like Wheel of Time with the male and female magic, mm. the Sidene and Sidar. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, are there, and also when it comes to the multiple types of magic in the world, what's the history there yeah. and the history between the different magic uses? It definitely affects uses. the world a lot, mm. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, they're my six steps. Cool. I, I particularly like the idea of thinking about the what becomes mundane if everyone can do certain levels of magic mm. or if someone has weak magic that might be really insignificant, but also like that idea of like, if you were in a world where you could magically create fire, for example, mm. and lots of people could do that, you might just use it for flippant things like lighting a oh, cigarette yeah, or yeah, starting yeah. Your, your, your cooking fire or something. Well, what I really liked about, I know I've been binging ambitious books, but uh, in some of the later books, they actually she actually shows how the humans who don't have magic live. And the magic users that are weak in the magic world when they are then interacting with the humans they're all powerful compared to the humans and so they can do these basic so they can create refrigerators essentially so the only way you can keep food cold is through magic mm -hmm. so the magic users can choose to help the non-magic users keep their food cold and charge them money for it and stuff yeah, right. so yeah they're seen as even though magic users view them as weak, they can then have strength and power over the non-magic users and they yeah. can abuse that power. Yeah, so yeah. That was and really I guess cool too, well. like even technology might not evolve in certain ways. If mm. you can do things with magic, you don't need to invent things that might lead to other inventions. That's true. Yeah, yeah there's so lots you, you could think about that. You could spend a lifetime just yeah. planning that out and never writing the book. It's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned these are Brandon Sanderson's rules. Mm. And I can hear as, I, as yeah. you're saying them, I'm just thinking of all these stories and how, yeah, he definitely plays on those themes a lot in his books. Because you're a big fan of Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. So. Ever since I read the Wheel of Time series mm. and he finished it off so well. Um, and his work just builds from there and it's just really good. I really like his work. And he's so uh, productive. Mm. He, he just gets so much done. <laughs> yeah. Prolific. Like you can trust him to finish yeah, a yeah. series. He's um, no In the Name of the Wind series going, you know, like uh, yeah, Patrick no, I, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so actually while we're on Brandon Sanderson, just to repeat Sanderson's first law of magic, uh, an author cannot solve conflict with magic 
unless the reader understands that magic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important with creating your magic system. If you want to keep it mystical and mysterious, then that's fine, but you cannot use it to solve that conflict. That's awesome. my writing tip. Nice. Good writing tip. So we'll check a link up as well to yep. um, Brandon Sanderson's blog. Yep, yep. It's yeah. all on his website. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah excellent. Okay, Ash, uh, enough talking about other people's things. Uh, last week you had not done much because you'd been <laughs> sick, but, uh, or I should say two weeks ago, but this time around, give us an update. So my accountability, I think ages ago I mentioned I'd made a start to the rewrites for the uh, book three of the Roshea series and I'd only done the opening scene. Uh, chapter one is three scenes and I've rewritten all three of those scenes and handed them to my most trusted pre-reader to read. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you. That's me. <laughs> I can say that so far, so good. There are, yeah, really, really exciting. So I'm intrigued to see where the story is going from here. I mean, for now, I'm happy with it. Yep. Who knows how I'll feel oh, in another week or two. Change. Yeah. <laughs> I no, have been known good. to scrap entire uh, like halves of books, I've been known to get rid of the whole first half of a book before. So, well, I did read a very different beginning to this uh, third book a while back. That's now, and then I got rid of it. Different. Yeah. <laughs> and this is better. <laughs> oh, good, good. See, see, this, yeah. that's what I need. Um, for for the listeners, sometimes I will hand Steve a chapter and then just sit there staring at him intently, watching his reaction. I don't know how he actually concentrates on the words. I don't. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> you go away and read it later. You tell me it's great and then read it later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, that sounds like you've been productive, Ash. Are you, you going to have another chapter for me soon? No. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get there soon. I've realised in writing that first chapter I have a lot of research that I need to do still. I thought I was up on it, but there's some stuff I need to do. So. No, that's okay. That's good. That's important. Have patience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that only leaves our writing prompt, Ash. Mm-hmm. So what, what should people be writing about this time? We've talked so much about magic today that I actually want to not do a writing prompt on that. I was really tempted. Uh, so instead I've done a writing prompt that uh, says to take your favourite classic, uh, be it Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen or Great Expectations by Charles Dickens or even Macbeth by Shakespeare and write a very short modern retelling of it. Ah. So just uh, like I guess a synopsis of what it would be yeah. in modern day life. So a little bit like a, ba- a Baz Luhrmann, yeah, Baz Luhrmann style reboot of a of a thing so just take a classic bring it to the modern era mm. so don't write it yes like i'm not expecting <laughs> them uh, everyone to write a novel but just a very very short Synopsis. modern retelling yeah 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 cool awesome all right well that's been our podcast for this episode mm. anything else to report on ash not really. I think I did well. Cool. All Lots right. of research for this one. I'm yeah. proud of myself. No, you did really well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, our website is bookstashpodcast.com. You can find us on social media. We're bookstashcast, or one word, on Instagram and Twitter, and the bookstash on Facebook if you just search for us. Um, and until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. <laughs>